0: Hello and welcome to a podcast for the Lancet Neurology. Today we're talking about progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy. We've got a new review out on the subject and I'm delighted to be joined by two of the review's authors, Dr. Eugene Major and Professor David Clifford. Gentlemen, welcome. For our listeners, could you please describe what progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy, or PML is and who's at risk?
1: I would certainly start out by saying, uh, first of all, that this is a uh, demyelinating disease in, in the brain, uh, targeting the oligodendrocyte, the myelin-producing cell. Uh, but unlike MS, for example, which has an autoimmune component, PML is caused uh, by a commonly spread virus uh, called JC virus. So this is a viral-induced demyelinating disease. The virus infects the oligodendrocyte, destroys that, and so myelin is lost. Um, it occurs uh, as, as risk in individuals who have very poor immune systems. They're mostly immune-suppressed, uh, immune-modulated, uh, and particularly uh, those that are affected in their T-cell-mediated immune responses.
0: So how is PML currently diagnosed in patients with multiple sclerosis?
2: PML is diagnosed in MS patients uh, as it is in any of the settings where it's common, uh, HIV um, or uh, other immunosuppressed populations, um, but it has the additional challenge that MS, the underlying disease, also affects the myelin, so not every spot in myelin can be assumed to be uh, PML, but the essential part of it is really in the, the name of the disease. Uh, we typically diagnose it when we hear from a patient that there is a progressing uh, neurological deficit. So something's going wrong in the brain in a particular spot in the brain uh, that we can often deduce from hearing what symptoms are are coming on. Um, So it's usually diagnosed where there are active, progressing clinical symptoms. And then when we do an MRI scan of the brain, we can see a lesion in the white matter, which is where the myelin is, that is consistent with the clinical story, uh, and that's very reliably seen in PML. And the third thing that's necessary is to associate that symptom and sign on the scan with the JC virus. And so uh, that's historically been the hardest, but now that uh, very sensitive uh, PCR, plumerous chain reaction, can be performed on spinal fluid, we commonly can detect the, the virus, which is a DNA virus in the spinal fluid. And because it's virtually never there, uh, unless PML is ongoing, that triad of a uh, clinical syndrome with this virus in the CSF and a, a lesion uh, in the white matter is diagnostic. Um, the spinal fluid is not a perfect place to look, and sometimes there is not enough of the virus in the spinal fluid, and a brain biopsy is required. And on the brain biopsy tissue, in the spot of the, the lesion, um, you can detect the virus by immunoassays or or other uh, molecular techniques. So, linking JC virus to a progressive lesion is the uh, is the way you make the diagnosis. One other caveat in this population is we'd like to make the diagnosis before there are symptoms, and so uh, in high-risk cases, you can start to see a spot on the MRI scan before there are symptoms, and a progressing spot with the virus in the spinal fluid uh, is consistent with this diagnosis as well.
0: So currently post-diagnosis, how are PML patients typically managed?
2: Sadly, we do not have any direct antiviral therapy for the JC virus. So the typical management uh, is to enhance the immune response in whatever way you can. Um, And it turns out that even a little bit of enhancement of immune response often allows the immune system to come back into play and to control this infection in the brain. Uh, In the case of the natalizumab-associated PML, where this MS therapy has apparently triggered the infection, uh, we generally recommend that the drug be removed from the system. It stays in the blood for a long time, and so plasma exchange is generally recommended to remove the drug rapidly and um, disengage it from blocking the immune response such that the immunity improves quickly to control the infection. Um, All of the other things that are done are supportive for the patients. There are theoretical ideas that the serotonin receptor is involved and sometimes people give mirtazapine, a serotonin antagonist, not really clear that that helps, but it sometimes is used, um, and um, sometimes people use a drug called mefloquine that in vitro, in test tube, seem to give an advantage uh, to blocking the infection. Again, not clear that it's effective, but because it's quite safe, sometimes those things are added to the therapy. And the final part of it is that as the immune system takes hold, it uh, can give a very strong response in the brain uh, that's an immune reconstitution inflammatory syndrome, or what we call an iris syndrome. Uh, and that inflammation can cause brain swelling and the symptoms can get much, much worse as the immune response takes hold. And for that uh at times it's really important to use a corticosteroids to blunt the response once it's underway. Uh, so those are the main management techniques that are used uh, to treat PML once
1: it's diagnosed. I would just add one more point to what David has said, particularly with the emphasis there on reconstituting the immune system uh, by removing, um, for example, natalizumab. So you do have influx of um, uh, lymphocytes that can specifically target the virus, you do see uh, a substantial reduction in the viral load in the CSF um, because of that immune reconstitution. However, we've studied quite a number of individuals, MS patients, treated with nalizumab who develop PML, uh, and many of them really never clear the infection, although the viral load does go down, and many of these patients seem to do better clinically, um, and so we're keenly uh, aware of the role that uh, T cell-mediated immune system plays in this, um, but are not quite uh, there yet in terms of completely understanding the persistence that this virus, JC, can maintain within the brain in these patients.
0: But so you think the risk of developing PML can be mitigated in patients taking uh, natalizumab?
1: We hope so. <laughs> we, uh,
2: that's that's really uh, part of the, the goal of uh, our review on the topic was to, to discuss things that, that could be done. Um, obviously, in terms of mitigating risk, the, the thing we most want to do is to prevent this uh, infection from taking hold. And um, so people in whom the JC virus is active in other parts of the body, typically uh, first in the urinary uh, system, the kidneys, ultimately in some people, in the marrow, other uh, parts of the the body. If there's evidence of viral activity by antibodies to the JC virus in the blood, uh, the risk seems to go up the more antibody uh, response there is in an individual. So in the absence of any antibody response, uh, the risk is probably quite low. But if the drugs are needed in people who do have antibodies, uh, that is evidence of, of elevated risk that uh, becomes problematic as to how, how long you can tolerate that. The risk is enhanced further if there's been prior immunotherapies, so sometimes MS patients in particular have had a difficult disease to control for years and have been given other immune-suppressive therapies like metazantrone, methotrexate, azathioprine, uh, and the like. And, And those folks that have had that kind of prior immunotherapy have a significantly elevated risk over those who don't. And finally, the duration of the uh, natalizumab therapy has turned out to be important, Uh, and there's evolution of risk such that it gets greater for several years, and so uh, the risk is relatively smaller in the first year of therapy and, and really escalates as you go along. So combining estimates of those risks allows the clinician and the patient considering the use of these drugs to... decide if they're willing to take the risk of using natalizumab or for how long they're willing to do it. Uh, It also sort of helps the clinician know how intensively to monitor an individual. If the risk is extremely low, you don't have to monitor MRI scans as
1: often as if the risk is high and you really want to catch any development of PML early. In addition, I think, as David had mentioned, with the presence of antibody, uh, that certainly indicates that uh, patients have been exposed to the virus, and in some cases, they could become latently infected. Um, and so measuring that antibody against the virus becomes a parameter that can be done readily um, and uh, does provide a certain amount of information. As the patients are treated with particularly, let's say, natalizumab, if that antibody level increases then that's an indication that there's active infection, maybe a release of latency. And so upon monitoring these individuals, particularly those that David just explained, had risk, mitigate, risk factors in their assessment, uh, if, if there is seen a relatively high level of antibody increase, then that would be a matter of concern. And I think that then, then the neurologist would have decisions to make in terms of what to do with the therapy that the patient is on.
0: So what do you think the prevalence of PML in patients with MS who are taking natalizumab is much higher than that associated with other immune-modulating therapies?
1: Yeah, so, so that has been actually uh, the crux of the issue in trying to understand why it is that uh, this particular uh, patient population treated with this monoclonal antibody therapy against integrins. Um, why would that be? Because natalizumab treatment in MS patients over long periods of time who have been exposed to the virus before is remarkably higher than it is uh, in almost any other population, whether it be MS or other underlying diseases that affect the immune system. And so I think it's important to look at what the effect of natalizumab is upon, for example, the immune system. Uh, Is there something unique about natalizumab that we do not see in other therapies? And uh, there are several, actually, uh, characteristics of natalizumab uh, that have effects on the normal physiology of the immune system. Uh, for example, um, natalizumab, because it, it blocks um, the uh, alpha-4 uh, at beta-1 um, uh, homing in of, um, of hematopoietic progenitor cells, CD34s in the bone marrow. What we see in these individuals treated with natalizumab is a high percentage of cells that migrate out of the bone marrow into the peripheral circulation as hematopoietic progenitors, they're called CD34s. These cells then have a tendency to differentiate to a lymphocytic uh, uh, differentiation pattern and of the lymphocytes that are produced in these individuals, the majority are B cells In addition, and and, and the virus we know can infect those cells or they can use those cells to harbor themselves um, and remain intracellular. Uh, In addition to that, it appears now with new data that there are molecular biology effects that natalizumab has as well that uh, over periods of time then can uh, release factors that promote JC virus growth in these B cells. These are unique features to natalizumab. They're not associated with other therapies that are used for MS patients, nor do we see that for other therapies for other underlying diseases that are treated with immune, uh, um, uh, immune system uh, immunosuppressive agents. And so that helps to give us a clue, I think, on, on why it is we see such, such a high incidence of PML in MS patients treated with natalizumab over long periods of time. And I think that's a key, again, that goes to looking much more closely at uh, the role the immune system, particularly cell-mediated immune, immune system, plays during the course of this disease and what natalizumab actually does to, the, to those cells.
0: So I just wanted to talk briefly about um, the, the EMA reviewing use of duclizumab in patients with MS after seven cases of serious inflammatory brain disorders. Now, not that nat- natalizumab is associated with these adverse events very commonly, but given the risks with some of these treatments, what do you see as the main challenges in the clinical management of patients with MS?
2: Well, you know, I think that um, <clears throat> we've, we're seeing a, an ongoing uh, revolution in availability of potent and increasingly specific uh, therapies, many of them uh, monoclonal antibodies uh, that have uh, critical targets that are relevant to underlying diseases. And in the setting of multiple sclerosis, as, as we try to modulate the immune response to make it less likely to, to cause the, the damage that the underlying MS does, um, we're we're playing with fire in terms of the interventions that can help uniquely and, and powerfully, but uh, the immune system is is so complex and delicately balanced that when you modulate it, when you interfere with its function, um, we we can't fully predict what outcomes are going to be. And so as a result, I think that we're, we're uh, going to have to deal, as we did with uh, JC virus and, and natalizumab, with unexpected, unpredicted infections that, uh, that break through the immune uh, protection we have. Uh, we will probably have uh, malignancies and cancers that um, similarly are, are being controlled in one way or another by the immune system Uh, and may have a greater prevalence or frequency when we interfere with the the, uh, immune system. And it turns out that a number of these potent therapies also have uh, control over autoimmunity, so the ability of the immune system to turn on itself. And um, I I don't know a great deal about the Duclizumab story, uh, but... It's true also of alumtuzumab, uh, one of the other immunotherapies that's been introduced for MS. Um, uh, in that case, there is uh, autoimmune thyroid disease and other increased uh, concerns of other autoimmune conditions, and I suspect that some of the issues with tuclizumab may be autoimmune and in character as well. Um, so, I think that we can expect infections, malignancy, and um, hard to predict autoimmune events uh, that will damage um, other parts of the body or the brain itself uh, as we try to find efficient tools to to block these really disabling and terrible immune
1: disorders like multiple sclerosis. And and I think David Mm -hmm. is exactly correct on, on those points. Um, and I think it would be worthwhile as many of these new therapies, particularly the biologics, are coming about to, um, to, to look more deeply at exactly what, what effects they have in the immune system, uh, to do a better phenotyping of what occurs um, in individuals or even in animal models as these therapies are developed. So we have a much better understanding of the, of the effects on the immune system and then take the knowledge we have on viral infections and see if those um, uh, phenotypes of uh, the immune system then can match up with what it is that we know about certain kinds of viruses, particularly those that, that become neurotropic. Um, and I think that no one would have anticipated natalizumab as being a, uh, a, a very good therapy that had this adverse event of a rare demy- viral-induced demyelinating disease, as we said at the beginning, PML. Um, but there, was, there wasn't that much emphasis placed on exactly what cells were remaining as you develop these kinds of therapies and what it is they could do. So I think that's, uh, that's, that's something that we appreciate uh, at this particular point, much more so than, than in the past.
0: Well, it's a fascinating discussion and one that's so, so important for the area. Gentlemen, thank you very much for your time.
1: Not at all. It's a
2: pleasure.